Amen. Amen. Wow. I don't know if I'm the only one, but my heart is like racing in the presence of the Lord. We love you, Jesus. I'm so thankful for the gospel because we don't get to have moments like this if it wasn't for what Jesus did on the cross. And... um, more and more, I feel the Lord just speaking to my own heart that it's really important that we steward our hearts really well in never allowing our hearts to become tame, dull, or unresponsive to the purity and the power of the gospel. It can never become old news because it's always good news. And something that um, I use as like a, a measure for my own life is when I hear the simple, pure gospel and my heart doesn't um, respond with awe, or if the subconscious attitude is ever like, yeah, I, I know this, where's the, the meaty, weighty revelation, then it's a good indication that my heart has actually grown a little bit dull. If I feel like I need something more than the beauty of the gospel and what Jesus has done, It's not that I'm too deep, it's that we've fallen from great heights. I'll do my best to keep it together. There is no greater news than the message of the gospel. And it will be the most relevant news for all of eternity. I love in Revelation, even the song in heaven is about worthy is the Lamb, that you were slain, that you spilt your blood, that you ransomed people for God from every tribe and every tongue to make them a kingdom and priests unto the Lord. The songs in heaven are about Jesus, about exalting Him. And I just always want to posture my heart in a place of receiving the word and the message of the gospel with meekness, that it makes me more and more tender, more and more receptive um, to, to what he's saying and to what he's wanting to do in my life, that every time I hear it, it's like hearing the gospel for the first time. We, uh, Max and I were away uh, two weeks ago, and uh, we, we bumped into uh, a couple there that we met just kind of in the communal area of the accommodation and um, uh, we just got like chatting and introducing ourselves and um, you know just talking about what what we do and all of that and we were sharing you know we um, photograph and film weddings and then we also um, have the privilege of serving in ministry and uh, this like just kind of lit up um, this lady's heart and she she immediately asked us she was like what's your Jesus story and um, my go-to is always, do you want the, the short version or the long version? Because um, there's a lot, of, a lot of details and interweaving things um, that, that, that I like to share. And um, she wanted all the details. And it was just a beautiful opportunity um, for Max and I just to share um, testimony. Like just to, to, to look back on the, the thread of the faithfulness of Jesus 
um, over our life and to think back to that first time that we encountered his presence. And um, it was a beautiful moment for me. I, I love to share my testimony because it, like, it does something in my heart to remember the first time that I encountered the beauty of Jesus, that I heard the gospel. And what's really important for us as the, as the people of God is to know that that profound encounter that you had, the first time that you can remember meeting Jesus, never settle for, for the lie that that's just going to be something that fades over time. That, that the mark of maturity is that you seem less um, in love, that you maybe feel him less. But actually, it, that's a complete lie. I remember when I, when I first got saved, there were three separate occasions where people, thankfully not in this church, I really do mean that, I'm not just lying, um, people not in this church, um, they'd said to me, no, you know, you um, just wait, you know, you're on fire now and you'll see like, it's a normal thing, you're in a honeymoon phase. And uh, as, you, as you go on and, and, and follow Jesus, you know, you, you'll, you, you won't feel as much and you won't see as much and it will just kind of be part of, you know, the rhythm of your life. Genuinely, three separate people told me that after I got saved. Like, great thing to tell somebody who's just encountered the Lord. But I was really grateful um, for the community, this community that the Lord planted me in because there was no landing strip for that kind of word to land in my heart where all around me I could see people that had been following him for years, and that put such a desire in my heart to know, like, I want to know Jesus the way that these people know Jesus. That every single day there is more for me, um, more of him for me to know and experience and encounter. There's more revelation. I could read the same chapter every single day for the rest of my life, and every day the Lord would just be like unveiling different layers to his heart. And that's what I love about the Word is that this will always be the most relevant and powerful thing in our lives. Read it every single day. This is like, um, this is Jesus in print. I love in John, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then we know the Word became flesh. In one of the many times that Jesus had altercations with the, um, the Pharisees, there's one that always um, just stirs in my heart from John chapter 5 where he says to them, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you will get eternal life. But it's the scriptures that testify of me, yet you refuse to come to me. What he's saying, he's not belittling or making less or, or making light of the scriptures. He's saying it's not just text. That if you're reading this and all you're getting is information and knowledge about something, but you miss the person of Jesus, then you've missed it altogether. And that's encouraging because it means that every day that I give my life to this book, to these scriptures, that every day there is an opportunity for me to encounter the man Jesus. It's something that keeps us grounded because things can get a little bit weird and airy-fairy if you... You know, don't keep yourself rooted in the purity of the gospel. This is everything. I don't know why, I, I didn't even plan to um, share that this morning, but I just feel such a stirring this morning in, in the word, just loving and valuing the word. Um, let it be like food for your soul every single day. The reason I shared um, just the, the story of the testimony is um, uh, after we had shared it, um, had quite like a, an emotional moment with this, uh, with this couple where there were really two things that, that stood out from what we shared that have just been stirring in my own heart just thinking about the gospel. Um, 
in that, and I'm not going to share a whole testimony today, but part of it is that I remember being young and being in um, like the, the rhythm and the culture of church, doing the church things, being in the youth band and, and even loving it. Um, but then when life got a little bit difficult in, you know, teenage years, I remember feeling like the rug, so to speak, was ripped from underneath my feet and I, I, I abandoned church. I abandoned the Lord because I realized that in the midst of being, you know, passionate and even zealous to, to be a part of all the things and, and tick all the boxes, I had completely missed the person of Jesus. So when trials and difficult things came, out in, uh, came about in my life, there was no foundation or no anchor for me to actually hold on to because the substance of what I was enjoying or, or being a part of was not actually a reality in my heart where hearing the word and all these things were, was impressive to me, but I'd missed the person of Jesus entirely. And when my life was totally changed and flipped upside down was when I encountered the man Jesus. And when that happens, when the purity of the gospel hits your heart, it is impossible to stay the same. And that's what I want to share a little bit, a little bit about today, is that the gospel transforms our life. Every single part of our life should not look the same after the moment that we encounter Jesus. And sometimes there's a little bit of a process of, of certain things um, coming into line as we're renewing our mind. But the point is that there is nothing about our lives that the gospel doesn't touch. There is nothing about our lives that the gospel doesn't want to redeem and, and, and transform and make us into the likeness of Christ. Every part of our lives is meant to be touched by the power of the gospel. Are you with me? So I want to, if you have your Bibles with you, if you could turn with me to 1 Timothy. One Timothy chapter one. There's so many examples of this through the word, but what I what I hope to do today is just um, there's probably nothing that I'm going to say today that we haven't heard before. So I, I just want to settle that right now. But again, what, I, what I'm encouraged with in the Lord is that it's vital that we always make sure that our hearts are being confronted with the reality of the gospel and what it should be doing, what the life of Jesus should be doing in our lives. Because it keeps us in a place of tenderness. It keeps us in a place of humility to go like, this is for me. This is what the evidence of the gospel is. This is what the life of Jesus looks like, and it's for me. I want it, Lord, do it in my heart. Does that make sense? So I'm not going to be dropping any kind of groundbreaking, never heard before word, but I am going to be sharing the gospel. And that's the best news. Come on. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 12. This is Paul writing. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. I'm going to read that part again. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Verse 15, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Some translations will say of whom I am the chief. In other words, Paul is saying, I was the worst of the worst. If sin had a club, I'd be the captain. He's, he's basically saying, right? I want to pause there for just a moment because 
um, that line of whom I am the foremost really um, just stirred something in my heart this week as I was meditating on that. And I was like, why would, why would Paul say something like that? I don't know how many of you would consider yourselves, you know, before encountering Jesus, you'd call yourself the worst sinner of all. I don't know, maybe you, maybe you did. I didn't necessarily think of myself that way. So I was like, why would Paul say something like this? Is it just a, a statement of um, demonstrating like the humility in his heart? Is he just taking this lowly posture and saying, you know, like I just remember the, the sin that was in my life before Jesus. But I feel like as I was just meditating on it, that it's something more, uh, a little bit more. In Acts chapter 9 is the, the moment that um, Paul who's still called Saul, encountered Jesus. You guys read Acts chapter 9? And uh, he, uh, he says that yeah, he was a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent. He was violently persecuting um, the, the, the church of Jesus. A man devoted to, to Jewish beliefs and in Jewish ways that he was really a violent persecutor of the church. Acts chapter 7, Stephen was the first disciple that was martyred and it was um, Saul or Paul that, that approved um, his uh, execution. So in Acts chapter 9, we see that he's on his way to Damascus to continue doing that, to go and retrieve people to arrest them and do who knows what to them. And the Lord encounters him, just a divine interruption, light from heaven shines, and he is struck down to the ground. And Jesus comes and encounters him. But what does he say to Paul? He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He doesn't say, why are you um, you know, causing so much harm and, and hurting my people. He says, why are you persecuting me? And I believe Paul makes this statement of, of I'm the foremost or the chief of all sinners because you, when you read through all the, the letters that he wrote the, the, through, through the scriptures, you see the love and the devotion that Paul had for the church. He writes incredible things like, I do, I do not cease to pray for you. He talks about the anxiety that he has for all the churches. Uh, in the, the church in Galatia, he says that he's in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed within them. Like his devotion to seeing Jesus exalted in the churches and them being in a healthy place, staying grounded in the gospel and bearing fruit for the kingdom was really, really um, like a heart cry for, for Paul. So seeing this, I, I think that the reason why he says this about himself because he realized that before meeting Jesus, he wasn't just, um, you know, stuck in a place of sin, but he was actually, he had this revelation that he was actually persecuting Jesus. He was hurting Jesus by going after the church. And now, being so devoted to the Lord and understanding his value for the church, it was like he considered himself the worst of the worst because of the glory that he now experiences. Like he understands because he encountered Jesus what is most valuable and most precious to him, and that's his people. The gospel is meant for people. It's not just a message that we throw out there just for fun. It's meant to land on the hearts of people. God desires a people to dwell amongst. He's omnipresent, meaning that He is everywhere. There is nowhere that God is not, yet He desires a place to dwell. He desires a resting place. And it's the heart of man that He's chosen uh, to be that place. Do you guys still with me? That was just a side thing. That was just what excited my heart this week. Um, Verse 16, listen to this. He said, but I received mercy for this reason. This is really important. I received mercy for this reason. That in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. I'll read that last bit again. Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those 
who were to believe in him for eternal life. What's Paul saying? In his own heart and in his own life, he is profoundly rocked by the presence of Jesus and by the gospel. The Paul who was before Jesus and after encountering, after encountering Jesus sorry, are two completely different people. Amen? It's not just a slight change, an upgraded version. It's a brand new person, right? No similarities. But this is so profound in that he's saying, like, he received it for this reason. He received mercy for this reason, that Jesus might display his nature and his character through him as an example to those around him. I want to encourage us with this this morning that how aware, if you were to ask yourself this question, how aware are you that the the gospel landing in your own heart and transforming your own life, Jesus desires for that to be an example for others to also come to believe in him. How differently would we live life, um, going our, our workplaces, our families, friend groups, whatever it is, just doing different things. If we thought about, hey, what the Lord is doing in me, yes, it's for me, and that's beautiful. I get to enjoy that. But also, there's something that He's doing in me that He's actually demonstrating and revealing His nature as an example to others who will come to believe in Him too. In other words, the point is this. The gospel is not just a message that should tickle our ears, but that there is substance. There is evidence to the power, the working power of the gospel in our lives. At least there should be. Paul says in, um, in Romans 1, I think it's verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. We know the scripture, for it is the power of God to those who believe. It's not only a message, it's the power of God. So what Paul is saying here is, hey, this message of the gospel, Jesus desires lives, hearts and lives to be the very vessels that he demonstrates the evidence of the gospel and his nature through to other people. You guys with me? There's a, um, in, a scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 where he words it this way. He says that we are, uh, he's encouraging the church in Corinth and he says, you are like letters delivered by Christ. Letters from Christ to the world. In other words, the gospel creates a package out of you and I, so to speak, dressed up and put together by Jesus um, with his words and his heart inside. And he's using our very lives as the vessel to introduce himself to the rest of the world. And then Paul, on the other hand, he says, um, it's letters from Christ delivered by us. In other words, as we're brought into the kingdom and we're sharing the gospel with others, it's like we're ministering the heart of Jesus and the nature of Jesus to others so that they can also minister the heart of Jesus to other people as well. The gospel is meant to do something in our lives. It's, it's, it's night and day difference. Again, it's not just, uh, hey, I've implemented these you know, couple of principles or whatever that were in Jesus' teachings and I'm going to bring that into my life because that seems like a good idea. No, it's a total death to what I once was and alive in who Jesus has called me to be. That should look like something. I'm just encouraged with this because for me, just sitting with the Lord um, this week, this was just such a beautiful reminder for my own heart to, to ask the questions of, um, am I seeing the evidence of the gospel in my life? It's not me preaching at you. I'm, I'm sharing what the Lord's doing my, in my own heart to ask ourselves these healthy questions. Like, hey, if I believe that the gospel is as powerful as what it is, as what the word says, Lord, am I seeing the, the marks and the evidence of the working power of the gospel and of your Holy Spirit in my life? Am I, are there measurable um, 
you know, changes and things that are happening, the, the nature of Jesus being um, like ministered and evident through my life. And if not, that's not a heavy, that's to go, okay, I, I want to bring my heart before the Lord and go, hey, Lord, I, I feel like this area of my life, I maybe haven't opened to you. I maybe haven't let you touch me here. I haven't let you really um, redeem this part of my life to, to reflect who you are, to demonstrate your nature and likeness. Here I am, Lord. Come and touch me. Come and minister to me. Let the purity of the gospel come and touch my heart again. Does that make sense? There's something that I've shared maybe a couple times of preaching, um, talking about the difference between information and revelation, or knowledge and revelation. Uh, information or having knowledge just means that you know something, right? But revelation looks like intimacy. Revelation looks like Jesus has put his words inside of your heart and he has brought substance to your life on what he's actually sharing. That looks very different. It's like you can know what I just shared now in John chapter 5 where he, um, Jesus, Jesus shares about, uh, you, you know, you're searching in the scriptures for eternal life, but they testify of me. In other words, you could know a whole lot about Jesus, but not be able to recognize him standing in front of you. That, that puts the fear of God in my heart. To go like, yes, study the word, study the scriptures, immerse yourself in the gospel, to know everything you could possibly know about Jesus for the rest of your life. But make sure that it's not something that just stays as academic knowledge in your head where you know a whole lot about the Christian life, a whole lot about what Jesus said and what it should look like, but have very little substance or evidence of it in our own lives. And the difference is encounter. Something happens when we encounter the presence of Jesus. You cannot help but become more and more like him by being around him. So for my own heart and life, I'm like, Jesus, I want to be so careful to not just read something and go, okay, cool, I know that now or I know about that, but make it real in my own heart. Never let me settle for mere knowledge, but Lord, always take me into a place of revelation, which looks like intimacy. It looks like encounter. I think that when we when we know a whole lot, um, it's good to know a lot. Just make, don't hear what I'm not saying. But when we, when we know a whole lot, a whole bunch of stuff that hasn't really become real in our hearts, often um, what you'll see is that our lives become a lot more about what we're able to do and what we're able to contribute and, and where to find our place than about who we are and who's, uh, whose we are, who we actually belong to. And that gives a very different... Um, flavor, if I could say that. It communicates a very different message. You can, you can see in somebody's eyes, you can feel by somebody's life a person that has been with Jesus. You can hear the words that come out of somebody's mouth when it's just, even if it's the truth, even if it's a fact, even if it really is what the scriptures are saying, you can tell the difference between, you know, hearing something that's just information like, hey, this is true and you should probably listen to it versus, you know, somebody who has been drenched in the love of God, who's actually encountered the presence of Jesus, those words carry weight. You could say the exact same thing, but the weight of his anointing on the truth is the difference between information and revelation. And I want to be somebody that is really given my heart to the Lord um, and not only my mind. I don't want to just know a whole lot of stuff, but I want my life to be deeply touched and transformed by the power of the gospel. I want nothing of, of who I once was, anything outside of Jesus, I want to throw that away and embrace everything that he has for me. We know um, 
Con read actually a little bit of it after, the, after worship now, but in John 15, where he talks about um, abiding and talks about fruitfulness. Um, and if you're like me, I've, I've read that many times and focused on the, the fruitfulness, you know, doing things for the Lord and seeing that happen in my life. But I would say that the emphasis really is on abiding, abiding in the vine. Staying in that place, in that tender place with Jesus, and from that place, the fruitfulness of the gospel, the fruit and the likeness of Jesus will begin to flow from our lives. You've probably heard this um, from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, where Paul says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. A picture in my mind, just to let you into my world is uh, when I hear that I, for knowledge puffs up, I just see like a big balloon, um, you know, with like riding and patterns and all kinds of stuff on it that looks really impressive. But when you pop it, there's nothing but air inside. <laughs> Very impressive externally, absolutely nothing happening on the inside, right? But love builds up. The implication is there's foundation, there's structure, there's substance to what Jesus wants to bring to our lives. And he's going to do it and minister it into our lives through his love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The motivation and the heart of the gospel is the, the unselfish, self-sacrificial love of Jesus demonstrated in our lives. So when I think about what the gospel should be doing in my life, I was um, just in my time with the Lord this week. I really wanted to have uh, like questions that I could present to my own heart and to present to everybody today of like, Lord, what are, what are measurables? What are questions that I could ask myself to, to basically see in a healthy way that the, the gospel is actually doing something in my life, that I, that I am actually grabbing hold of it and I'm seeing the evidence of a life transformed through intimacy and relationship with Jesus. And um, right away, I felt the Lord speak Acts chapter 2 um, into my heart. If, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We'll go there in a minute. Um, something that Pastor Khan said last week. Last week was a, a message on supernatural finances. If you weren't here and you didn't hear that, I would seriously encourage you to go listen to it on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Um, easily one of the best um, sermons on supernatural finances that I've ever heard rooted in the scriptures with the perspective of the worthiness of Jesus and the, the great commission at heart. I really encourage you to go listen to it. But there was something that, um, that Khan said that has been stirring in my heart the whole week about um, often the, the first time that we see a specific theme or, or something introduced in scripture, the first time that occurs is like one of the best places to learn about something because it's like in its purest form as it's being introduced. And uh, so I was really stirred that the Lord took me to Acts chapter 2, because if you don't know, this is the birth of the New Testament church. This is when the Holy Spirit was poured out, the gospel was preached for the first time, um, and thousands of people are saved and come to believe in Jesus. And what really rocks me is there's this description after people have been baptized and, and uh, 3,000 souls, it says, were added to the Lord, and then gives this description of the church of what they, what they look like, what the believers look like, their, their values, if I can put it that way. And before we get into it, um, something that's really important to understand when we read things like this, excuse me, is that what we are about to read is a description, not a prescription. In other words, we're not going to read these things and ask these questions to try and tick boxes 
to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be transformed by the gospel, but rather these are the signs and the marks of a people who have heard the gospel, who have been touched and transformed by the presence of Jesus. Does that make sense? So when we read these, it's not like, hey, you need to make sure that you're doing all these things, otherwise the gospel is probably not in your heart. No, it's saying, hey, these are the, the signs and the marks that we want to see to go, Lord, I believe that this is, this is your pattern, your values, the, the evidence of the life of Jesus and the power of the gospel in our lives. And I want to make sure that these things are in my heart and being uh, demonstrated in my life. Is that okay? Does that make sense? So Acts chapter 2 from verse 42. So again, this is as the, the church has been birthed. Oh, thank you so much, Rob. Everyone there? Verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching uh, and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many, uh, many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Isn't that beautiful? So, what I was really stoked about is not having to come up with questions, um, but just having them in the Word already. And uh, I felt like the Lord just breaking down line by line each of these things as like these healthy um, metrics, if I can call it that, to, to just begin to ask the questions of, am I seeing these things, these marks, these, these values in my life? Which really, again, can just be pinned down to the evidence, the sign of the, the power of the gospel working in the church, in the life of us, Right? So first thing it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So the question I ask in my own heart is like, to what degree could I say that I'm devoted to the word of the Lord in the community that the Lord has planted me in? How much am I embracing the gospel in my life? These are, these are questions that nobody else but you can answer, right? And in meditating on that, I was thinking about like, you know, we, we have so much access today with YouTube and all these things to, and podcasts to listen to an infinite amount of sermon, sermons on an infinite amount of topics. And um, something that gripped me really early on when I, um, when I got saved and joined this community is I really felt so convicted that although there's so much access to all these different things and it's beautiful, I've learned so much from, you know, listening to, to preachers from all over the world. I, I love that we have access to that. But I, I remember feeling a caution in my own heart from the Lord to say like, hey, I've, I've planted you somewhere in a specific community. And the word that I'm entrusting to the leadership of the church is for your life. It's relevant to you. When I'm li listening to a sermon to Bethel, from Bethel or any other church, upper room, whatever it is, it may be beautiful and true and we can absolutely learn and take from it and apply it to our lives. I'm, don't hear what I'm not saying. But what I am saying is remember that just because we can watch a live stream doesn't mean that that's necessarily for us now. The word of the Lord in your local community where you know that the Lord has planted you, to what degree are you devoted to the apostles' teaching in the local church that you have been placed? Again, I'm not preaching this at you. These are questions I'm asking my own heart to go like, Lord, 
can I honestly say that I'm devoted to the word of the Lord in my house, in my local church? Is that okay? Uh, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. To what degree could I say that I'm devoted to the fellowship of the saints? How devoted am I to the family of God? And just to be clear, I looked it up because I was like, it's, it's really good to know the definition of words. Um, but devoted, sometimes we think we know something and then you, you Google it and you're like, oh, that's what that meant. Um, but the, the words that are used to describe devoted, I thought were really beautiful. It, the words that are paired are, are um, love and loyalty, to be lovingly loyal to something. So it's not just loyal. It's not like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm part of this and I'm never leaving. But actually with, with love, I'm loyal to something. So I should have said that first. But in everything that we read, keep that as the lens. It's a loving loyalty to the word of the Lord in my local community. It's a loving loyalty to the fellowship of the saints that God has placed me around. Uh, to the breaking of bread. Having meals together. I love like... You know, there's a, a vague term of fellowship that could look like so many different things, but then even specifically breaking bread together, having meals together, sharing communion together. To what degree could I say that I'm devoted, lovingly loyal to breaking bread with my brothers and sisters? And prayer. Come on, prayer. Oh, this is like the fuel for, for the life of the believer. Prayer is not just about a monologue, just empty phrases that we offer up to God. Prayer is dialogue. It is communion with the Lord. So I, I love, you know, uh, books and things like that that have like specific prayers that like, you know, help you kind of get on track in terms of prayer life. But never allow your heart or your mind to think that prayer is about a specific set of words that needs to be said in a certain way. But let your heart be encouraged that in the same way that I can um, have intimacy and commune with my wife, like heart-to-heart -heart conversation, you're designed to have that with God. Prayer is an intimate dialogue between you and your Creator. Amen? So again, another question. I'm going to keep asking you with each thing. To what degree in my own life and in your life could you say that you're devoted, again, lovingly loyal to prayer? And I love this, verse 43, it says, and all came upon every soul. This morning in worship, you could just feel there was like a, a sense of awe and wonder in the room. And I want to encourage us that that's not reserved for moments like that. Sometimes there are moments like that where it's just we're overwhelmingly aware of just how majestic the Lord is and just, just reverence in the room. But I want to encourage us that awe and wonder and the fear of the Lord, which is not being afraid of Him, but it, it's about reverence and wonder. Um, again, am I seeing that as a mark and a value in my life? Like I said before, when I hear the simple but powerful gospel, is my heart filled with awe or is it I've heard this before? I, I already know it. Am I lovingly loyal to being in awe of who God is? Many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. Is there a culture of the supernatural in my life? That's not like, hey, am I, am I the guy who's just laying hands on everybody and I'm just seeing healings left, right, and center? It doesn't have to be that like, crazy in your head, but it's a culture of the supernatural. In other words, am I, am I devoted to seeing and expecting that the God of the supernatural and impossible is going to move and work around me and in my life. We need to raise our expectations of what he's able to do. <clears throat> I love this. All who believed were together and had all things in common. That's talking about unity. 
which is more than just being in the same place. Unity is something that can only come through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the fact that we have the Spirit of the Lord inside of us who is uniting us together over one thing, and that is the worthiness and the beauty of Jesus. Am I devoted to seeing unity in my family, in my, in my local church, to, to having an expression of that, to really see like, hey, we're not just together in the same place, although that's a good start and a really good thing, um, but can I feel the unity of the Spirit in a room? Are we locked in together? Am I committed to being locked in with this group of people to go after Jesus? They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. What are they talking about? Generosity. Am I seeing the marks of generosity in my life? Because this is a mark of the gospel. Amen? Uh, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. There is activity, and, uh, th- there's activity in the church, which in many ways, two simple expressions of that looks like Sunday gatherings and home groups during the week. I know that every single one of our lives are busy, and I'm going to say this with absolute um, tenderness, and I really don't want this to come across in any kind of a um, condemning kind of way. But something that I felt the Lord... Um, challenged me in a couple of months ago is I realized that I was waiting for a lot of things to change or accepting that I just couldn't do certain things or experience certain things just because I was busy. And well, this is just the season of life that I'm in right now. And, you know, nobody else understands whatever. I I can't be there. I can't do this, whatever it is. And I felt the Lord challenge my heart to say, are you really going to wait for a circumstance to change before you embrace what I've actually paid for you to have? In other words, am I going to every day make the decision, regardless of how full or busy my schedule is, am I going to make the decision every single day to take up my cross and follow Jesus, to make sure that my heart is anchored and confronted with the power of the gospel? Because what if you never stop being busy? That's what I just started thinking about with the Lord. I was like, based on especially with the nature of our work, how far out we book things, I was like, I can't really see an end to being busy. Like, there's always going to be a lot to do. And I felt the Lord go, well, what if, what if rest looks a little bit different than what you think? What if it's not just about having, and hear me, you, we really need you to have physical rest and, and to stop working and have holidays. That's really beautiful. But Jesus says he's the Lord of the Sabbath. He said, come to me all who are uh, uh, heavy and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my, my burden is easy, my yoke is light. You'll find rest for your souls. And I felt encouraged to go like, I'm not, I don't want to settle for Christianity that's bound to the secret place where no one's watching or only in a public setting, but actually that every single moment of every single day, I've been given access to the presence of God, which means that rest, supernatural rest and physical rest is available to me because Jesus chose to make his home inside of my heart. So the act of coming to him is not always, it should look like moments of doing absolutely nothing, like make time for that every single day. But it's as simple as taking two seconds out of your day, throughout your day, even in the midst of being really busy, of just going, Lord, thank you that you're here. Thank you that your presence is in me. I love you. I bless you. Thank you that you're doing a deep work in my heart, Lord. Thank you for the gospel that you are transforming my life to look more and more like you. That will do something in your heart where even in the midst of feeling overwhelmed and busy, you'll feel the the grace of God begin to strengthen you. 
Paul encourages Timothy with that. He says, let the grace of God strengthen you. It's not just grace that saves. It's grace that empowers us to live like Jesus. We always have access to him. Amen. So in terms of the, the life and activity to, uh, in the church, from home groups to Sunday gatherings and whatever else happens, it's about understanding that this is a spiritual family that the Lord has placed me in. So it, it's good to ask the question, to what degree am I devoted to attending the temple and being in each other's homes? What degree am I devoted to the life and activity of the church, regardless of what everything else is happening in my life? Am I going to wait for that to change, hoping that it does one day? Or am I going to make and take steps and make decisions to go like my life needs to be shaped around what is most valuable to me? You will make time for what you value, no matter how busy you are. They receive their food with glad and generous hearts. Thanksgiving. How thankful am I every single day? for who the Lord is, for the life that He's given me, for the access that we have because of the price that He played. Is, is thanksgiving uh, evident in my everyday life? Praising God, worship, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What we just read through now is like a safe space where the Lord goes, I can just pour people into this. I can keep adding people into this because there's a, a holy, beautiful, and deep reverence and value for the gospel. And I believe that the Lord is doing that in this house, but globally, when you just see the different things that are coming out, it's like the Lord is just restoring a simplicity and a purity to the message of the gospel again in the church, where we're not, um, like we even said today, we're not after the, a fancy service and entertaining people and ticking all the boxes. We're after Him. But that looks like something. Not just in a Sunday expression, but in my everyday life, right? So these are, these are things that I would just encourage you to meditate on. Again, not as something like, hey, am I hitting the target? Am I hitting the mark? No, but to go like, Lord, I want to see these expressions come through my heart and my life. That I recognize that these are the marks of believers that have been filled with the Spirit and impacted and, and touched and changed by the message of the gospel. So, Lord, do it in me. Help me, Lord, to be devoted to the teachings, to prayers, to breaking bread together. I don't know about you, but when I read through this, none of this sounds like, when we read it through the right lens, none of it sounds like obligation or duty. It sounds like joy. It's doing life with a group of people and going after Jesus together and encountering the King of glory. That's epic. Hello. <laughs> Sometimes we've got to remind ourselves that the things we do is not just like boring, mundane stuff, but we're after Jesus. We're after encountering the creator of the universe, the king of glory. That makes me excited. That makes me really excited. So when you go home today and you go about your week with jobs and whatever it is that you do, um, I've said a lot today, but if we could just keep one thing really simple is to just be intentional every day about allowing the, the grace of God and the glory of the gospel to touch your heart. 
to keep your heart in a place of humility and tenderness towards him. That you give no room for your heart to grow cold to the beauty that is Jesus. Because that happens slowly and subtly. That's never an overnight thing. So it requires that intentionality every day of like, it's the greatest joy of my life to love Jesus, to know Jesus, to be a part of a family that loves him just as much as I do, if not more. That I get to be surrounded by a group of people that will always point me to him, encourage me in him, and keep me accountable not to my failures and shortcomings, but to my destiny in him. I believe that the Lord is going to restore the joy of salvation to the church again where we will never come to a place like this or, or have you know, fellowship times or whatever it is with each other out of duty and obligation, but because we have been filled with the joy of God, the joy of our salvation. That's not a fleeting joy, it's an everlasting joy because in His presence is the fullness of joy. So if you're pursuing Jesus and you're encountering Him every day, then joy ought to be evident and on display in our lives. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me? Would you lift your hands? That may feel funny sometimes, just like lifting your hands and closing your eyes, but sometimes it helps to do something physical to posture our hearts in a certain place, right? We lift our hands in surrender. It's an act of like opening our hearts to receive the Lord, to receive what He's wanting to do and what He's wanting to say. We love you, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the gospel. Thank you for your word, Lord. Lord, thank you that your profound power and wonder is revealed through the simplicity of the gospel. We just give you thanksgiving this morning, Lord. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy that you have poured out into our hearts. We thank you for this glorious life that you have called us into. A life marked by encounter of joy, of fellowship, of singing. A life forever marked and changed by the beauty of who you are, Jesus. Well, this morning we just receive your word with meek and tender hearts. We receive afresh, Lord, the, the seed of the gospel. And I thank you this morning, Lord, that you are able to bring a great harvest into our lives through the seed of your word. Father, I thank you for every single person in this room, Lord. I thank you for hearts given to you, Jesus. I thank you for hearts that are tender to the gospel. And Lord, if there is anyone in the room today that feels like they've grown a little weary their hearts has maybe grown a little bit dull. Father, I thank you that right now that you would fan into flame the hearts that you've given us, Lord. That you would fan into flame the message of the gospel in our hearts this morning, Lord. I pray, Jesus, that you would tangibly come and touch us this morning. Lord, that it would be like the first time that we heard the gospel. Like the first time that we gave our lives to you. 
Come and touch us, Holy Spirit. We don't want to settle for information. We don't want to settle for knowledge. But this morning, God, we ask for revelation. We ask for encounter. We ask that your love would minister the gospel to our hearts this morning. And that you would bring the transformation that only you can bring to our lives. God, I thank you for tender hearts today. Keep our hearts tender, Jesus. Keep our hearts tender to your word, tender to your voice, tender to your presence. And God, I thank you that you would just stir up even right now a hunger for the scriptures, Lord. Let a hunger for your word be stirred up in your church. Lord, that as a people, we would be given to the scriptures. We would be given to encountering you every single day, Lord, that we wouldn't settle for a mediocre life, but that every day we would make the joyful choice to take up our cross and follow you for the joy of the gospel, that our lives would be a response to the worthiness of who you are, Lord. Lord, would you stir up the joy of our salvation in the church, Lord. Stir up the joy of salvation again in Jesus' name. Lord, you are wonderful. There is no one like you. There is no one like you, Jesus. We worship you, Lord. We are so thankful for who you are. We are thankful for the gospel. Would you just tell him in your own words this morning, let it come out of your mouth that you are thankful. Thank him for the gospel. Thank him for his presence. Thank him for what he's done in your life and what he's going to continue to do. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.